Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. My, my, my. Mm. I could sing on and on and on, but I better save a little of my voice for teaching here. Love to sing. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because he put a song in my heart. I don't understand people that don't like to sing. I tell you, when God really fills you with the Holy Ghost and you have the victory, about the main thing you want to do is sing. You sing when you get up in the morning. You may not open your mouth very wide, but it's in your heart. You sing through the day. You feel a song in your heart. Glory to God. Just keep on singing. Singing saints are happy saints. Singing saints are healthy saints. He put a song in our heart. Praise unto our God. Oh, bless his holy name. Hallelujah. Glory. While you're standing, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. We'll get right into our Bible lesson now. And we're going through the, the books, the two books of Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and uh, we're just taking it on Thursday nights. To finish it up, I may have to start taking some of it on Sunday, but I've enjoyed the study very much. I enjoyed it today. It was so, so rich to my own heart, and I trust and pray that it will be a blessing to you tonight. I invite you to keep your Bible open as we go along here. Uh, let's begin with verse 1 and read the first six verses all together. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yea, doubtless I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. My answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles? And as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas... For I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working. That's as, that's as far as we'll go right now. You may be seated, but just hold on there. Let's see what the Lord has for us in this Bible study tonight. I, uh, I guess I've just, uh, if I'm going to give this entire, I just saw we're all running, but every one of us can be a winner. We're all running. You know, in the athletic events of this day, there's only one winner. And uh, if a boxer is boxing, there's usually a winner, just one winner. If it's a tie, there is no winner. If you're running a race, those that run in the race, many run, but only one is a winner. But in this race, According to what the Apostle Paul tells us, we can all be winners. God wants all of us to be winners. He didn't save you to let you down. 
He didn't save you to let you go through this world and just barely get by and make it the best way you can. He saved you so that you could make it all the way through. And I want to encourage our new converts here tonight, as you get into the Word, just apply it to your heart as much as you can and say, that's good for me. Now, there are a lot of things in this chapter that has to do with the Apostle Paul and has to do with... Uh, obligations of the church and supporting the ministry, and then it has to do with our running the race and our disciplining ourselves. Verses 1 through 6, Paul was clearly defending his apostleship. Now, there were those that were examining him. Can you imagine anybody examining the apostle Paul? I, I feel really good tonight to think if they're going to examine the great apostle Paul that I should certainly shouldn't feel bad when people examine me. But uh, Paul, that great apostle, was having to defend his call and his, uh, his apostleship. There was much opposition. And uh, he wrote to this same church and he said, without our fightings, uh, on the outside of the church there's fightings. And he said, within the church there are fears, constant fears. But he said, nevertheless, God. So uh, when Paul is defending himself here, he was declaring to the church at Corinth that his writings, his warnings, and his admonitions were not to be taken lightly. And that's very good. This is a new church, a church at Corinth. It's full of new converts. And uh, they had more or less done their own thing, their own way. They got into the church, and there was no set of rules. There was no guidelines. There was no epistle for them to live by. There were not even any elders in the church. So you can see how easily it was for them to become carnal, some to become sinful, some to become worldly, and some to become... Uh, part of factions wanting to be a part of their own little group. And then there was times when the Apostle Peter came by and preached to them. There was times the great, uh, the great uh, uh, exhorter, uh, eloquent man, uh, Apollos came by and taught them. And then the Apostle Paul was the one who brought the message to them and established them. And uh, now he's coming back to give some positive guidelines, something that they can go by. First of all, he said, Am I an apostle? He's putting the church on the spot now. What do you think about it? I'm being examined by others. Do you think that I'm an apostle? Uh, and to declare that he was an apostle, he said, Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? And that was a definite, definite sign of apostleship. One had to see Jesus. Now, at the beginning, there were 12 apostles. They were called disciples. After Pentecost, they became apostles because they were establishing the church, and a pioneer is an apostle over a work 
Well, these were the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And uh, in fact, when you get to heaven, you're going to see the foundation stones and the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb are going to be on the very foundation of the great, beautiful city that lieth four square. Uh, that's going to be a thrilling experience, and it's not just uh, put there without a reason. There's a purpose for it all. So thank God for the work of the apostles. I think the apostles got a little bit ahead of the Lord when Judas, who could have been an apostle, and his name could have been on one of the foundation stones, uh, he just he forfeited all of that. He sold the Lord. 30 pieces of silver. He lost his place. So when the church got together in Acts chapter 1, uh, the first thing they wanted to do or thought they had to do was to replace Judas. They didn't really seek God uh, and let God do the work. They, they got ahead of God. And uh, so they decided finally it narrowed down to two. One's name was Matthias. So they couldn't decide between those two, and there was a casting of lots in those days uh, that was called the sacred lot. It was used in the Old Testament, and this is the only time it's used in the New Testament and never used again uh, because God had a better way of talking to an, uh, the church and revealing His will than by the casting of lots. The way they cast lots now, where they would write two names on a stone. Uh, they wrote two names, Matthias, and two names of the other they had chosen. And uh, then they had two blank names. And so they cast these lots, and uh, the way they did it, they threw these lots somewhere or somebody would be chosen to pick those stones out and if they got two that had the same name then that was God's they thought God's way and it was God's way in the Old Testament so they thought that surely this would be God's way at the beginning of the church you never hear where this man ever did anything you never hear where he did any special work. I imagine he was a faithful man. I imagine Matthias was a dedicated man. I can imagine he became very much a part of the church and the work of the church. But God had another man that was going to take the place of Judas. And his name was Saul of Tarsus. And as he was journeying toward Damascus, a light shined upon him the brightness of the noonday sun, and he fell to the earth like a dead man, and then he was totally blind. He could not see. And uh, someone had to lead him by the hand into uh, the city where Ananias was going to come and pray for him, and when he prayed for him, he was going to receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost at the same time. Now, this is how we know that the Apostle Paul was one of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. He called himself an apostle. He exercised the authority of an apostle. He wrote letters like an apostle. He defended his apostleship, and uh, therefore 
was numbered with the eleven as the twelfth apostle and there are only twelve apostles of the Lamb. Ephesians 4.11 talks about uh, apostles. It said God gave to the church apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. What for? For the perfecting of the saints and the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ. God gave the church a five-fold ministry. Now, we know that the prophets were of the Old Testament, and we know that these twelve apostles of the Lamb were of the New Testament, and we know according to Ephesians 2 and 20, we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. But there is still the work of an apostle, not twelve apostles of the Lamb now. Nobody could, could take their place or even be added to them. But there's the five-fold ministry today, the work of an apostle, the work of the prophet. Uh, if someone comes along and declares himself a prophet, uh, I think the Lord has to do that, make that declaration. And if someone come along and call himself an apostle, then I believe the Lord would have to make that declaration. But there, my dad established 15 churches. You go back to any of those cities, and uh, they would tell you that Brother C.P. Kilgore was our apostle because the work of an apostle was to go into a new area and establish a work. So he became the apostle over that work. And uh, that was that does not mean he was one of the twelve apostles. There are other great men. Men came to Houston, Texas and did the work of an apostle establishing a work. And God gave the, the work of the apostle to the church even in this hour. There are those that I feel can stand and preach and it sounds like a prophet. They wouldn't declare themselves to be a prophet, but they speak with that boldness and that authority and, and uh, that power that you can imagine that a prophet would have. And of course we know there are pastors and there are evangelists and there are teachers. There's no controversy on those three. But I just wanted to tell you there's still a five-fold ministry in operation in the New Testament church, according to Ephesians 4 and 11. Yes, Paul is saying, I am an apostle. And I received a direct call from God, and I have seen the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are folks that have seen what they thought was the Lord, there are those that had visions of what they thought he was, but I think uh, that's the difference between act, the Lord actually appearing, coming and talking to Paul face to face. An apostle did not have to be single. Now, the Catholic Church would make you think that an apostle had to be single. And uh, if you'll notice verse 5, 
he said we have that power to get married if we want to uh, he's saying have we not power to lead about a sister or a wife in other words a sister in the church we could uh, we could uh, declare her to be our wife or get married as well as other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord that was James and and Jude half-brothers of Jesus Christ and Cephas who of course we know is the Apostle Peter Pearl is saying I don't have to stay single I choose to be single uh, Brother Lee Stone King will be here uh, our watch night service and then for the two following weekends Brother Stone King could have gotten married many times and there's a lot of girls that have gotten a vision that they're supposed to be his wife and they even declare that God showed them and they even call him and said the Lord showed me that I'm to be your wife that's way off the wall God's going to show him before he would show anybody He's gotten all kinds of letters from all over the country. And uh, don't any of you girls get any bright ideas around here. I don't know how I got into that. But anyhow, he, uh, Brother Stone King, would tell you plainly that he purposely stayed single so that he could devote all of his time to seeking after God finding the will of God and to develop the ministry that he has developed. God has really used this man. He has paid a price for the kind of ministry that he has and that's why he's so anointed of the Lord and used of God. And I, I appreciate it. I thank the Lord he didn't show me I had to stay single. I, I'm enjoying being married, and I'm enjoying being a father, and I'm enjoying being a grandfather, and I'm enjoying being a pastor. I love that. I'm glad that I found my place. All right? And then in verse 6, he said, uh, another thing we want to tell you is that we don't have to work with our hands. He chose to be single, and he chose to support himself. He was a tent maker by occupation. He made tents, sold those tents. Barnabas worked with him. There was a time that Silas worked with him. He more or less supported himself. There was some support, support along the way, and even, even he acknowledged the fact that he had missed the will of God by not taking support from the churches. He said, I know that I missed it. He said, because I robbed you by not allowing you to support me. Then uh, he said, we choose it this way. Or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working. We could stop working if we chose to do so. But then he goes in through, uh, with verse 7 on through verse 18 he gives the obligation of the church to support the ministry. And I have, I have probably touched on the subject of support to the ministry 
less than 10 times in my 40 years of preaching. I just, I feel uncomfortable to talk about folks supporting me, but, and even at times I feel uncomfortable even teaching on tithing, and that's not right. I get the feeling if I teach on tithing, people are going to think, well, he's doing that to get money in his own pocket. And that's not the truth. I can tell you the truth. That's not the truth. But uh, this is God's financial plan for the church. Uh, when you work, you, according to the Word of God, the first ten cents out of every dollar belongs to the Lord. That's the part you dedicate as the tithing, the sacred tithing. You don't pay that to the preacher. You don't pay that to the church. You give that to the Lord. I hope you can realize when you give tithing, you're giving that part to the Lord. That's why it's called tithing and offerings. We take tithing and offerings. Offerings goes to missionaries. Offerings go to visiting preachers. Offerings go to special needs. And, and this is important. But the obligation of the church is to support the ministry uh, when it can do so. Of course, when it's small and struggling, they work together, they pull together, and uh, there comes that time, though, when a church is able. And, and Paul uses some good examples here. He said, suppose a soldier goes out to war. Does he support himself? He said, of course not. Of course, uh, our new president would probably tell you, uh, don't go to war, dodge, dodge the draft. I don't know how I got into that either. You know, it's kind of hard to give the proper respect to someone and we're to pray for those that are in authority, and I don't want to make light of it. Even the Apostle Paul one time... Uh, he, he confessed that, that he was wrong in some of his feelings. And, and I'm probably wrong on some things, but I'm still uh, patriotic about America. I still love the stars and the stripes. I'm glad to be in a land of freedom. I'm glad that we're privileged to come to church tonight and sing as loud as we want to and shout as loud as we want to. And it's because somebody fought on a battlefield, and we have veterans right here in this church who hazarded their lives and gladly did it so that we could be here tonight. And we owe a great debt of gratitude to our veterans and our soldiers, and thank God for those. But a soldier, Paul said, doesn't go to warfare and pay his own way. The government that is behind him, uh, they certainly take care of that. And then he said, a man doesn't plant a vineyard and just ignore all the fruit of the vineyard. He looks forward when he plants the seed and, and he takes care to see that it grows and then he watches as it begins to develop and the fruit, he can hardly wait for that time when he can eat the fruit off of the vine. That's the work of my hands. I've earned this. Uh, the Lord, Paul is saying, if a man plants a vineyard, the first thing he's going to want to do is to eat the fruit of that vineyard. 
I already said if a man is feeding a flock, and that's his job to take care of a flock, uh, you expect that he would drink the milk. He's, he's earned that. He's taken care of that. And uh, then he used the law concerning the oxen. And he said, the, you don't muzzle the oxen that treads out the corn. What they did, they, they put the wheat, and it's called a corn of wheat. They put it down in a path. They would tie an oxen to a long, to a long, uh, uh, some, some sort of uh, uh, something, and we'd, he'd go around and round the mill, and he would tread out the corn or the wheat and cause the wheat to be separated from the chaff so that all the farmer had to do was just come in with and scoop up the baskets full and just throw it in the air, and the good wheat would fall and the chaff would fly out in the air. And he said, it's unthinkable that you would use an oxen to do all of that hard work and put a muzzle over his mouth and not let him reach down and, and uh, eat while he's working. Now, that's, uh, that's what the Apostle Paul said. Don't muzzle that ox. Don't put a restraint on him. Now, uh, he's saying the ministry should not be... You should not restrain a ministry, too. You should make sure that he's taken care of. And I have no complaints tonight. I have never had to ask for an offering in all of my life, and I never will. I have never asked for one thing for myself in all of these years, and I never will. And I may have to eat my words sometime, but God has always taken care of us. we got... A beautiful telephone call from Sister Jean Wyndham this morning. They were going out of town, going to their home up in the country, and she was telling us how glad she was that we were going to have a fine home that was in the country. And uh, when I looked at it the other day, I thought, you know, I never thought in my wildest imaginations when I slept on the side of the road as a boy traveling with my dad preaching and slept in chicken houses and slept in church houses. Never would I have ever thought that I would ever move into such a beautiful place. But it's been because many men in this church have given day after day after day of hard work, wouldn't take one dime for it, We've had all kinds of carpenters, painters, helpers, pastor, we just want to do this for you. And uh, it, it humbled me for her to give that beautiful expression that she gave. I don't feel that we are deserving or worthy of, of anything. But the Lord says in his book here that we are to take care of the ministry. And I'm being taken care of, and I, I am so appreciative of that. The whole point, Paul is teaching, verses 12 through 14, that those who preach the gospel, who minister the gospel, are to live of the gospel. As a church grows and the gospel is effective and people want to respond and want to support, that's the way the ministry is supposed to live. 
Everybody said amen. Now, the minister is not without guidelines. You'll turn, hold that chapter and turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter number 5. I'll give you the guidelines for the ministry. Verses 1 through 4, 1 Peter chapter 5. The elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Now, here is the responsibility of the pastor. Number one is to feed the flock of God. I feel an obligation to you. You've worked hard all day today. You fought traffic going to work. You fought traffic getting home. You just barely got home in time to get ready to come back. I owe you a good meal. I owe you something from the Word of God that can give you some strength, something that you can live on the rest of the week. That's my responsibility. I can't run all over the country all day long, go out and play ball all day, play golf, go fishing, and then come in at the last minute and try to grab something. I feel obligated to spend the day thinking, meditating, searching the Scripture. I owe you a good meal. I'm not worthy of your support if I don't give you something from the Word of God. So I've got to feed the flock which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. That's another responsibility. I don't care how many helpers you have or how many assistants you have. God intended there would be one person that would be over that church and take the oversight. Oversight is the whole operation. He can't do it all, but he's to have the oversight of it. Now that's according to the Word of God. And we have practiced that through the years. And uh, by the grace of God, I intend to keep doing that. I've got to take the oversight, not by constraint, not because I have to do it and get up in the morning and dread doing it. My wife will tell you that I'm always anxious for the day. I get tired and weary, but I never become weary with God's people and the work of God. I don't do it because I have to do it. You couldn't make, you couldn't pay me enough money to do what I'm doing without the call of God. There is no way that I would do it. There is no way I could bear the burdens that I'm bearing if I didn't feel the call of God. I called a, a young lady this evening. I said, I've got a heavy burden for you. And and I'm going to keep calling you, and I'm going to talk to you as long as I feel it. And, and uh, she said, well, I appreciate it. I said, what are you going to do about it? I said, God has given this to me for you. Now, what are you going to do about it? She said, I don't know. I said, well, you better do something before God lifts the burden that I feel for you. You know, you don't do it by constraint. But the Bible says you do it willingly, and you don't do it for filthy lucre. That's just plain old, you know, hard-down cash. You don't do it for filthy lucre. You don't do it for money. You never prepare a sermon thinking how much money you're going to get out of it. That never enters my mind. 
I'm interested in only one thing. First of all, pleasing God and seeing God's blessing upon the assembly. Praise the Lord. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage. I feel for some who try to take that authority and demand things and really hold a club over people's heads, ready to beat them down. And they feel almost like they're a part of a cult. It's almost uh, like saying we got a tent ready with Kool-Aid and you don't do right, we're going to get you all in the tent and you're all going to drink the Kool-Aid and we're all going to die together. That's, that's completely far-fetched. That's so far and that's out of the will of God. And uh, we don't do it to be lords over God's heritage. You are God's heritage. You are God's husbandry. You are God's people. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a peculiar people. And God tells me that I am not to be a lord over you. I'm not going to follow you around and tell you what you can do or can't do, but I'm going to use this pulpit and I'm going to preach the Word of God. And, I'm, and one preacher said, I, I, I'm not going to tell my church anymore what they can do and what they can't do. I refuse to be your conscience anymore. He just lost his ministry when he said that. The minister is to be the conscience of that church. And if he gets tired of, of telling people like it is, then he needs to get out and get him a job doing something else. But as long as I feel the burden that I feel and the call that I feel, knowing that I'm in the will of God, I'm going to tell it just like it is. And when we stand before God, then we can stand there saying, We heard it. We, we heard it, we were taught, and uh, then I'll be free from the blood of your, of your soul. Your blood will be off of my hands. Praise the Lord. Now, some of you are not interested in what I'm saying, but that's all right. That's still the Word of God. But being an example to the flock, this is what I'm interested in. Be an example. An example in what a preacher ought to be. Example in what a preacher ought to look like. An example of a preacher's conduct. Example of a preacher's attitude. Example of a preacher having the right spirit. Amen. I don't mind to tell you I feel sorry for some poor saints. The things they have to go through. But I feel so thankful that we have a well-balanced church. We have a church that's not out of balance. We have a church that's well-balanced. Praise God. And you ought to thank God every day for it. Did you hear me? You ought to thank God every day that I'm in a church that's well-balanced. They don't go to extremes. They try to stay right in the book. And... Uh, then this fourth verse said, And when the chief shepherd... Who is the chief shepherd? He hasn't appeared yet, has he? You see a poor example of an under-shepherd when you look at me. But oh, when you see that chief shepherd, 
Praise God. When we look upon His face, the one who saved us by His grace, and He takes us by the hand and leads us to the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace, Hallelujah! Oh, what a day that will be. I'm looking for the chief shepherd. Hallelujah! When he appears, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Amen. Now that's if a, if a pastor can be a faithful shepherd, that's his crown that he will receive. The shepherd's crown, crown of glory that fadeth not away. The next verse, I might as well add to it. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. I think that's very important that young people, you submit to elders. We have good elders in this church. I'm, when I say elders, I'm talking about both men and women. They are proven. They have a proven life. They have lived the life. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And it wouldn't hurt all of us to be clothed with humility, would it? For God resisteth the proud and gives grace to the humble. I might as well get that next verse, too. It's good. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. We all could do a little humbling here tonight, couldn't we? Lift your hands and love Him. Bless His worthy name. Praise our God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. I want you to look at verse 18 down in 1 Corinthians 9. What is my reward then after I've preached the gospel? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. There's a certain power and authority that God gives a minister, but power is only safe when it's in the hands of love. You put power in the hands of someone who's power-hungry, and you have a tyrant. So Paul is saying here, we better be careful not to abuse the power that God has given us. Now, then the third part of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is the method uh, and the reward of true ministry, verses 19 through 23. And uh, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. You know, really, that's all I want to be as a servant. 
I think I have proven that to you folks. I don't have to even stand up here and defend my pastoral leadership. I think I've proven that. I feel more comfortable when I can serve. We had a young preacher who grew up in this church. And someone said, why don't you go talk to Brother Kilgore? He was having some problems. He said, well, if I did, he'd probably put a broom in my hand and tell me to sweep the parking lot. That would have been a privilege. We're not so high and mighty that we can't humble ourselves to do a little work. Paul said, we just want to be servant of all. And that's what I want to be. If God will just let me serve his people, how happy I will be. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law to them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. In other words, if I can be something to the Jew, if I can be something to the Gentile, if I can be something to the weak, to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. So he said, first of all, I want to be a servant. This is the method and the reward of the ministry is to be able to serve. That's a reward, to be able to serve God's people and to become all things to all men. Stretch yourself, be whatever you can be, do whatever you can do to save people, becoming all things to all men. And then he said, I do this, in verse 23, for the gospel's sake. Doing it to spread the gospel. That's the ultimate goal of a church and a ministry, is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. To get it to the whole wide world. Amen. Praise God. Then the fourth part of this chapter, this is the part where everyone plays, not just the ministry now. Verse 24, Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. He's using a natural race in a natural world. One receives the price, but in this prize, but in this spiritual race, every one of us can one run, and every one of us can be winners. Praise God! Oh, I like that. But then we're not only involved in the race; we not only have a goal, but we also have a reward. 
And in comparing the race of life with the race of the day, there are heroes of today. They're crowned with many crowns, and all of these crowns fade away. They may have their picture in the Hall of Fame. They may wear Super Bowl rings and all of that business. But it's going to fade away. There will be another Magic Johnson rise on the scene and be praised and looked to like a god because of his athletic prowess and ability. But look what's happened to him. He was crowned many, many ways, many times, but his lifestyle behind the scene. No telling how many people he's affected with the infection that he has. What's that crown amount to when you compare it with the crown of life? With the crown at the end of our race? Be careful in your idolizing these sports figures in the world. It's only natural that when someone is really skillful and can really do things, and that people will praise them as children of God. We have to be careful about that. Be careful who you praise in this world. A lot of people are ashamed that they praised the Magic Johnson when they found out what his lifestyle led to. Getting quiet in this place. I think there's some things that we've been too silent about for too long. Promiscuous sex. The sex education bill that's before the house in Austin today will do more to tear down the morals of this state than anything that has ever come our way. And if you could just read all the things that they are going to teach and the pictures they're going to show, and if they get their way, teachers and authorities can take a 12-year-old girl out of a classroom to an abortion clinic and get a, an abortion without asking the parents and not ever even letting them know what happened. Don't say it won't happen. A lot of things have happened today that we didn't think would happen. Isn't that right? So God help us. We are facing troublesome times, testing times, trying times. If ever a time we needed to be straight and strong, the right spirit and attitude it is now. God help us. But everyone runs in the race, but to run in this race, Paul tells us, every man that runs in this race must be temperate in all things, verse 25. And when you're striving for the mastery, as the men of this world are boxers, racers, athletic sports and what have you. There are certain things they can't do, smoke, drink, tear their health down. They constantly work to keep their health up, their lifestyle. Uh, the health clubs, 
bodybuilding. We have a fine young man here tonight that was in all that bodybuilding business, but he he finally discovered the soul building business is the most important thing in this world. Praise God. And uh, we read in Hebrews 12 and 2, laying aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Temperate in all things. Lifestyle different from that of the world. Laying aside weights. So, well, it may not be wrong, but it could be a weight that would hinder you. Why are these Pentecostal people so strict? All the things we do may not be absolutely necessary, but we want to make sure we get rid of all the weights. We're running in the race of life. This is life and death, eternity, the judgment, rewards in heaven. All of that's ahead of us. I say it's worth it. You wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't feel it was worth it. Bless God, it's worth it. Hallelujah. 1 Timothy 4 and 8 says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness. Everybody say, but godliness. That's the spiritual training. But godliness is useful and profitable unto all things having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. Your lifestyle pays dividends right here in this life. I don't think you have to sit here tonight and worry. I wonder if I've got AIDS in my body. I wonder if the judgment of God, where the prop the the righteousness that I'm teaching about tonight is profitable for this life. But oh, that's not the end. That life to come. My Lord, what we're in is not only good for us here tonight, what we feel tonight, what we enjoy tonight, but it's going to be good 10 million years from now. Oh, hallelujah. Glory. Praise God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The life that now is and that which is to come. That makes me want to renew my desire. Make up my mind. Wake up my faith. Break up my will. Take up my cross. And get into it. Hallelujah. Renew my desire. Desire drives you. It drives us toward the goal, that desire. Don't ever lose that. The Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road developed a hunger and a desire. What a supernatural experience he had with God. And that led him out into the Arabian desert for three years where he heard from the Lord and God directed him and taught him so many things. That, and then finally that led him to being taken up into the third heaven and seeing things he couldn't even come back and talk about. Isn't that something? And then after all of that, 
He says, oh, that I may know him. I just want to know him. After those experiences and revelations, I, I just want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So I'm saying to the church tonight, keep running. It's going to be worth it all. Keep running. Refuse to be a castaway. Paul said, I, I just want to tell you right here and now, I keep my body and bring it under subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway or should be disqualified. Glory to God. Hallelujah. In one of our cities several years ago, they had the Olympics uh, running. And there were hundreds of people that were there and thousands of people that watched the race. There was a man that won the race, and of course he got the prize. But the man that everybody was really interested in didn't cross the finish line till three days later. And when he crossed the line, they stood by the thousands and clapped and cheered and shouted because, you see, this man couldn't walk, much less run. And he did it all on his hands tilt his body up in the air and did the best he could on his hands. Three days it took him where it took the others just hours, a few hours. But he, he got the prize for being faithful and running against all the odds, running against all the opposition, they cheered him on much more than they did the man that finished the line first. So it's not everyone who starts in the race. Amen. It's the one who finishes. I may have to get down on my hands and knees to crawl to get over the line. But by the grace of God, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep moving. Blessed be the Lord. Praise our God. Praise our God. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. You want to keep going tonight? Keep striving. Keep battling, keep fighting. The devil would like to get us to quit, just stop. No, we're not going to quit. We're not going to quit. By the grace of God, not going to be a castaway. Going to finish the race.
What does it take to be a winner? Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. If you have to fight every inch of the way to get through the pressures of this world and the opposition of this world, you have to fight and struggle every inch of the way. It's going to be worth it. Finish the course. The finish line is out there. Praise God. Seems like I can see it. The finish line is out there. Not going to lose the faith. The faith of this gospel. I'm going to keep running with it. And then the beautiful thing, everybody can receive a crown. Paul said, not to me only, but to all of those also who love is appearing. Praise God. Hallelujah. I don't know what kind of a battle you're fighting, but I just want to tell you, Fight on, O church, fight on. There's reward. Hallelujah. Stand together. Thank you, Jesus. Lift your hands to love the Lord, to tell Him you want to make it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Bless His holy name. Praise our God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Our trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face all sorrow will erase. So Just one glimpse of his dear face. 
all sorrow will erase so bravely run this race till we see Christ sing it with me oh it will be worth it all anybody want to pray the altars are open it will be worth it all when we see Jesus our trials will seem so small when we see Christ just one glimpse